0: Let's welcome Paul Richards. <laughs> Paul's a longtime friend of mine. I I, I uh, clued the Zoomers in a little bit on you, Paul, and uh, just said that a number of years ago we met, and then a couple years after that we just always had time for one another and room for one another in our hearts, but we started talking about union, and it was a simple discussion over at the pantry with salt and pepper and, a, and scattered on the table and in the shakers. and. From there, we've just been close. We've been pursuing this, and you've been pursuing it just like a bulldog. And so I want to commit these guys to you. And keep, keep in mind there's a camera there, and every now and then look up and acknowledge that they're, they're up there on, on the TV Zoomers looking at you. you yeah, you're usually a Zoomer. so yes, a you're Zoomer, here. so. So anyway, guys, if you would welcome Paul, uh, I would commend him to you.
1: Thank you. Hey, everyone, good to be here. Good okay. to see you. Um, it is really good to be here, and uh, uh, just one thing comes to mind. And I, I, you know, I've been preparing for tonight for I don't know five years. Um, it feels like, but really, um, however the Lord wants to take this is exactly what it's going to be. So, um, does anyone know who Brene Brown is? Anyone ever heard the name Brene Brown? She's like known for having like 13 million hits on a YouTube video teaching she did on vulnerability. And uh, she's an educator. She's a, uh, t- a teacher, writer. I don't even know if she's a believer, but she said this. She said, um, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. And when those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we get numb, we ache, um, we hurt others, and we get sick. And I couldn't agree with her more. On any of that um, it's it's just the way we are built the way God has wired us you know at our most stripped-down self is actually something pretty profound and pretty intimate and I've been blessed um, over these last few years to uh, have been able to spend I've been able to spend a lot of time in the last four or five years really living on a daily basis, uh, in hours upon hours with the Lord in prayer, writing, reading. I mean, on one hand, I feel guilty. I somehow I've financially been able to, to hang in there and do this. Um, this last year, I've really had no choice. It's, I've been locked down because of COVID, but I've, I've really been living like monastically for about the last five years. And I can kind of relate to it. I think like at heart, if I just, just didn't think women were, like, so great, I knew I, I could be a monk. Um, I just really can kind of relate to the monastic lifestyle except for, like, not dating women. Um, not that I've been dating much lately anyway, but um, but what my time with the Lord as of late has brought me to is a, uh, it, it's a place that... that Larry uh, alluded to in uh, just a few minutes ago, talking about kind of a journey we started together about five years ago. I think it'll be five years ago, this February 21st, where the Lord both just fell on our lives during a seemingly innocuous breakfast conversation and turned both of us in the direction of a, a, a deeper pursuit uh, and, and greater hunger for understanding how perfect our union is with Christ within the Trinity and what the truth of Trinitarian love is, what it means to be loved by the Father, um, what it means to be free of the fear of separation from God, what it means to be free of the torment of sin and the judgment that comes with it. What it means to truly be esteemed as a a child of God, you know, to be loved as we were meant to be loved, without condition, without agenda, uh, without qualification, you know, and it's been an it's been an extraordinary thing. Um, You know, um, I've 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 come into an understanding of of really how simple the kingdom of God is. And that it's since the inception of time, it's really just been about family. It's, we, we live in a divine familial union, whether we realize it or not. And while re- religion and other things over the course of time has, has kind of propagated this idea of, of separation from God and God being someone who you know, really judges us by performance, and of course, with that comes the idea of religious works and good deeds um, you know and in and in many ways we're we 're reminded about the you know the sin that that so easily befalls us and religion is always there to to tell us that we can never forget that at our core we 're you know we 're really sinners and and thus we need religion and its trappings to kind of keep us in fellowship with God a relationship with God at least to enough of a degree so we can, when we physically pass away or the Lord returns, we'll at least get to the other side, you know? I mean, it's, it's kind of a really beggarly way to look at being in relationship with God. And the reality is we were found in Christ. We were found in Christ eons before we were lost in Adam. That's how far ahead of the curve God was on all of us. That's how big the father's love for all of us is and was, okay, and um in the course of again just kind of <laughs> developing a pretty contemplative life and and um uh, again, almost just out of like just the environmental dynamics that forced it upon me um i I've come to believe that that people's misunderstanding about God's identity and our identity is probably the core reason for most of humanity's misery and failings. And so from that perspective, I just want to do a quick review of God's identity, who he is, and then touch on a few other things um, You know, in in talking about God's identity, you know, it and and this has been the case for theologians for for uh, millennia. It it comes down to you know who is God and what does He do. And theologians have all kinds of fancy terms for that. They they call it the Immanent Trinity or the uh, Ontological Trinity in terms of who He is, and then what He does is the Economic Trinity, and that kind of deals with the way He interacts with man and you know, how he had to send Christ to save us. And, you know, theologians, I mean, you know, there's just volumes and volumes, reams, books that would fill this room on trying to figure out who God is and what he does. But I just want to keep it really simple tonight, okay? Um, obviously, um, and, and I do want to look at who he is and what he does, but, um, I, you know, I want to acknowledge, and again, I'm, I'm keeping it simple, that we will spend eternity in awe, you know, as, as the identity of God is unveiled, you know, it, it's, it's of infinite size. But the reality is that, you know, through scripture, God has made, um, the attributes of his nature and character known. And as believers, we draw on that to, Inform our understanding of Him. So we can, you know, we can, with some confidence, take a, take a reasonable, holy, uh, hopefully spirit led stab at who He is. So who is God? I mean, what is His true self, His, you know, His, His being, His entity? Um, you know, to the degree we can understand His, Composition and his essence and his substance, he is love. And he, of course, is, is many other things. He is light, he is spirit, he is fire. But what he primarily emphasizes in revealing himself to us is love. 1 John 4 verses 8 and 16, God is love. And of course, the greatest revelation of that love is Jesus. You know, for God so loved the world, He gave us Jesus. And Jesus, um, you know, through the incarnation, is the the personification of love. So, who is God? At least in the way He, my. I believe I can make the case that the, in the way that he chooses to primarily reveal himself to us, God is love. Okay? So then the question is, what does he do? Well, um, you know, he is love, and that, that love is, is infinitely dimensional, but he does have a foundational and specific way that he expresses that love, and, and that way is relationship. And we first see that divine love-based relationship within the Trinity, between the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So we can say that love plus the expression of love, or we could say love plus love's desire, and that being relationship, is the cornerstone of God's identity. And that should make understanding our identity reasonably simple, at least defining our basic identity, because if we're created in the image of God, then a significant part of ourselves must be love, and that's kind of a cosmic, mystical thing to contemplate, and an important part of our existence must be divine relationship. And the image of being the bride of Christ perfectly describes this. You know, personalize it another way. Look at the way John um, like, identified himself in his gospel. Right? Five times, John declared himself to be the one whom Jesus loved. And boy, when I was new in the Lord and, and new and in, in growing in the things of the Lord, I remember would read that, and I it threw me. I thought the guy was a narcissist. I thought he was indulgent. I couldn't figure it out. I just couldn't understand his boldness with that. But I realize now, and I have fortunately for a while, that John wasn't highlighting the Lord's love for him to imply he was more loved or favored than others. Rather, he had, John uh, highlighted that because he had a revelation that the Lord's love for him was the greatest point of, uh, of definition of who he was as a person. He realized that being loved by Jesus was the highest thing he could ever attach his own personal identity to. When he heard Jesus say, you know, as my Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. John's like, I'm all in. I'm attaching. I will, I will live my life immersed in that reality. And this speaks to the heart for all of us that our identity ultimately is found in a love-based relationship with God above all else. And I'll tell you, it's sad and at times extremely disturbing to see people search for our identities apart from Christ. You know, from, uh, well, almost from birth, the search for identity begins and it continues through all our lives. while. You know, simultaneously, the world, uh, you know, the society and culture seeks to to thrust it upon us. You know, the world judges humanity by uh, race, um, religion, education, profession, socioeconomic consideration, choice of beliefs, choice of interests, right? And... In the process of doing so it, it's it, any time that identity is sought apart from Christ, what it opens people up to are are broken and confused counterfeits and we see this and I, I don 't want to spend too much time on this, but we see this oh God it will in, in our political system like in gender identity right now we see it you know there's so many examples I can give. In, in our culture's brokenness concerning, uh, gender. I, the, just, again, I'll just give one example for the sake of time. I just, uh, read recently that the British Broadcast Corporation, uh, put together a, a bunch of educational materials, uh, uh, for the, uh, education system in the UK. And they directed a number of, of materials to middle schoolers, ages nine to twelve. Nine to twelve, right? Kids, right? and in the materials they they sent throughout to to these middle schoolers throughout the UK uh is the 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 teaching and the and the belief and the the philosophy of the day that there are over 100 gender de- uh uh designations for uh for people including children to choose from you know we see the way the the kind of the woke uh uh culture is is like Butchering our grammar now with pronouns—it's not he or she; it's they or them—or this is the pronoun I choose to use. And, and again, what it is—and I don't want to get caught up in that. I don't want to be uh, gratuitous, gratuitously spiteful about it. But it, it's—it's just—it's nonsense. It's just brokenness. It's all it is. It's just brokenness. It's really what it is. And the the the, the thing about broken identity is in any area of a person's life where there is broken identity, they're they're really vulnerable to to, to negative consequence. You know, it's a real kind of quality of life issue. Um, You know, broken identity can lead to family dysfunction and uh, social alienation and personal destruction. It can cause a, a, a failure to you know to function, let alone thrive, in in life. And um, you know, for me, I you know, I think we've seen a lot of uh, you know we have identity politics. You know, um, actually, just as a quick side note, do you know how long the is? Any, is everyone here familiar with the term identity politics? So people like relate to, you know, really made politics about really compartmentalized identity. Do you know that term was first coined in 1977 in Boston? Here's a little bit of trivia for you. Um, a group of black, feminist, lesbian, socialist women got together, decided to form a collective, and, and came up with the term identity politics in the way they wanted to go forward and project themselves. That's how old that term is. But we haven't seen really the the strength or the force of everything that's attached to that until about the last 10 years in this country. And I, I'm really trying to avoid a, a, a lot of political references here because I know for most of us we're all really pretty raw when it comes to that. But, um you know, um, in identity politics we see... Uh, it's it's really broken, and it and it again. I think it comes from broken identity, and it it ends up emphasizing things like victimization and offense, and entitlement. It's very one dimensional, and, and it it draws people in. But what's interesting to me is about a bottle less about a year ago in Minneapolis, um, the Lord started talking to me about it, and and kind of like the way I've, and this was when, you know, I guess this would have been early summer, and um, he started talking to me about, like, my uh, attitude and perception and identity and engagement in my political beliefs. And just as a quick background, because I don't want anyone getting overly upset or thinking I'm some kind of wolf in sheep's clothing, but I've always been politically engaged I was a poli-sci major in college. I was a precinct chairman by the time I was 18. I was a district and state delegate in Minnesota for the GOP at 20. Worked on local, state, national campaigns. I was really heavily involved, okay? Never voted for a Democrat. I own pistols and shotguns. I've got the obligatory AR. Um, You you know, I'm... uh, you know, I'm a good old boy, I love the Second Amendment, all these things, okay? Um, but last summer, the Lord started dealing with me about some things. And of course, and I'm like politically obsessed, you know, so I'm putting in an hour, hour and a half on real clear politics and all the, you know, I'm just, and I've always been a junk, uh, like a political junkie and a kind of a history junkie, current events junkie. But anyway, the Lord started dealing with me about this. Uh, last summer, and, um, and really challenged me on it, and he kind of called me out on my identity politics. And, and kind of in a interesting way, he started, he's kind of like, hey, Paul, you know, uh, Second Amendment isn't God, I'm God, and even patriotism isn't God, I'm God, and America isn't God, I'm God. And you got to really make sure you've got your, you know, you're your in balance here because you can get a little overly zealous. And so I kind of took that to heart. And then, um, and again, now just stay with me here. Some of this is, I know this is going to probably twist your shorts up a bit, but just stay with me. Um, in the, it was in the middle of the summer last year where one day, just kind of doing my thing with the Lord, I was researching or writing or something. The Lord spoke to me And he just like yelled Biden, just like yelled Biden. It's like a bomb went off, and immediately with that came this tremendous like peace, like a piece of God, like fell on me like Niagara Falls, and lasted for about fifteen seconds, and then he lifted. He just lifted, and it was just gone. It was like boom. It was like a knockout punch, and then he was gone. And I'm like, what was that? What are you, Lord? What are you talking about? And and um, are you telling me Biden's going to be president? And I'm, Lord, you know, and I immediately started what, you know, let's talk pro-life, Lord. Let's talk, you know, and I started kind of working like a, as a lawyer, um, kind of making my case against what I thought the Lord might be saying. And I, it was just obvious he wasn't listening to me. And so I just kind of went, okay, well, that was really weird. I'm not sure what that was all about. Five days later, I don't know what I'm doing, making breakfast or something, wham, the same thing. Wham, Biden, peace of God, just, you know, and I'm like, and this time, and it was again 15 seconds and he was gone. I'm like, okay, God, I don't understand any of this. This is way past my pay grade. But I know what your peace feels like. And I know when you show up in my apartment, and I know when you speak, I don't. if you're telling me Biden's going to be president, I, I'm not fully convinced that's the case. I hope that's not. But I do know this. I'm going to be okay because you're telling me I can have peace. You're hitting me with your peace as hard as you've ever hit me, and I can be at peace that everything is going to be okay. So from that point on, I'm like, okay, that I'm... Got a kind of a fresh perspective on this. A couple weeks after that, the Lord speaks to me and he says, I want you to cut your consumption of news and politics by 90%. I want you to go from like an hour and a half a a day to about five minutes. You can check in on the news sites in the morning, see what's going on with like COVID, you know, see if any restaurants are going to open. By the way, I ate at my first restaurant yesterday in eight months, eight months. Larry picked me up. We went to some fish shop. It was glorious. I'm in Minnesota, the socialist state of Minnesota. We don't have restaurants out there anymore. Um, but uh, anyway, the Lord said, I want you. He told me to go on a fast. And I thought he meant like a food fast. And I got the Monday morning to start it. And he goes, well, this isn't a food fast. He says, I want you to tweak it some. It was kind of. But he said, this is a, this is a media fast. I'm cutting you off and and you can, you know, he literally like gave me like five minutes a day, use it how you want. So I'd like blast on, kind of see what's going on in the morning and then at night, I'd kind of blast on a couple of websites and see what's going on and that's, that's what it was. He said, you got to do this for three weeks. So first couple of days were pretty rough. Then I started getting into it. and And at this time too, Kind of like all the things that I've been putting a lot of time in—hours and hours—the last few years into concerning identity and union and prayer and just Trinitarian love—just uh, started really getting momentum on their own. Started getting ahead of steam. So as I'm disconnecting from like what's happening in the world, which again isn't hard for me—I'm in this apartment in South Minneapolis, you know—I'm like. I'm not that far from like all the bombed out areas and, and uh, you know, it's, you know, like, again, I'm like living monastically and um just the Lord just starts drawing me more and more into his peace to where after a while I didn't. I'm like okay I gotta find out what's going on but I turn it on it was like if somebody was gonna say okay I'm gonna force you to watch you gotta take a look at this this flash of pornography and then you get, you can turn away and it was like I'd like pull up the news and I would like okay take a look and then okay shut it down it's like I became news averse I just because it, it just I could it there was like a toxicity to it like a just a toxicity it is like the news can be pornographic it's obscene and what 's all being promoted out there, and we all know this, so I you know i i don 't need to you know get into the details of this we all we all know the drill so then uh, um, what happened is I started having some health issues, and um, suddenly skin can you know skin cancer and other things are popping up, and i 'm at the doctor and they 're Every, it's like I swear I'm just, I was getting cut on. They were either cutting something out of me, burning something out of me, freezing something out of me, sending me for this test, sending me for that test. It's like I was a human pincushion. And this is going on in the midst of this stuff. And then I developed this pain. And here's a, here's, I'll give you some positive news. A little praise Lord here. I know I've gotten a little heavy here, but I had this pain in my knee that went on for two months. And it, but it was manageable. And one day it just, started getting worse, and it got worse fast. Within a week, I was barely moving, I could barely like bend it without having severe pain, I couldn't get downstairs, go in to see the doctor, they x-ray me, call me up, say, come on in, we gotta talk, show up a few days later, walk in, the, the nurse leads me back to the doctor's room, and there's like my doctor, a couple of residents, there's an orthopedic surgeon, a physical therapist, all in this room and I'm like, hey, hi, what's going on? And they're like, hey, check this out. You have a completely fractured fibula. We have no idea how you're walking. Like the orthopedic is like, it just doesn't make sense. There's no possible way. You're, you're, you, should, you should be at a minimum, you should be on crutches. You're kind of the buzz of the whole clinic right now, how you're getting around. And I'm like, well, that's encouraging. And uh, so I said, well, what's the plan? Well, that's kind of why we're all here to talk about this. So I was there for like 45 minutes. Again, physical therapy, orthopedic, blah, blah, blah. They really never came up with anything. We're just not sure what to do, except you probably should do some physical therapy. And I also had an issue with my shoulder, and they said, well, okay, throw the shoulder in there and I'll do that, you know, I'll do some physical therapy. So I went home and I'm like, Lord, They have no answer for this. I'm in excruciating pain. I, you know, this is definitely one of those deals where it's you or nothing, because the medical community's got zip. So this is going to sound kind of odd, but you all know me that I'm kind of an odd person at times. So I felt led to go to the gym. I went to my gym which uh, happened to, oddly enough, be opened still then, kind of in a limited way. And I went into a racquetball court so I could be alone. And I just, I laid my hand on my knee. And again, like I could barely bend the thing without just going to the moon with pain. And I I just bent it like 2% to that place of excruciating pain. And I stopped right there and I just started to pray. And I just started command my leg to be, to my knee to be healed, my bone to be to be restored, and I did that for like you know a couple minutes, and then I'd straighten up and take a break, go back, do it, did that, and I just kept going a little farther and a little farther and a little farther, and I just kept commanding and kept standing because again I did you know doctors got nothing, We've got to do something about this. I can't live this way. Twenty minutes later, I was able to like completely do full knee bend squats. So I walked, there was, a, there was literally a leg press right outside the racquetball court I was in, so I went, climbed into the leg press, said, well, you know, we'll give this a go. I mean, I didn't put, I put like 50 pounds on it or something, it wasn't a lot of weight, but hit the leg press like 10 times, went, all right, this is it. And I would say that I walked out of the club like probably 80, 70 to 80% healed. It took like another probably month for the last bit to come in but it was like a solid 80% healing. I went from, you know, so that was that. was that. So that was kind of, it's good to get, put one in the win column, right? And um, so then I get this call. I, they biopsy this one thing, and I've had some, I don't know if you know anything about melanoma, but melanoma's uh, a crummy, crummy, lousy skin cancer. It can be really nasty. And It's like if you if you get one, most people never get one, but if you get one, the odds are 99% you won't get another one. So you're like, it's only one in a hundred chance you'd ever get a second melanoma. But if you do, that's not good. So I've had two. So that's not good. All right. I've had two cut out of my back. And so now I got this thing they biopsy and they think it might be melanoma. And then, long story short, they botch the report, I get a bad report, they tell me it is melanoma. So now I'm like, okay, my life just changed drastically, because the trajectory for me now is not looking good. So for three days until I get the corrected report, I basically think, you know, life is going to suck. And I'm literally starting to like, okay, what have I done with my life? You know? It's not that I wasn't trusting the Lord, but it's it's a it's a shock to the system. And um, and I'll tell you, so anyway, they botched this thing. I'd gone in to get stitches out on another thing they'd cut out of me, and I'm talking in and, and I'm, the doctor comes in and I thought she was coming in to talk about the melanoma, and, and she says, Well, okay, let's get these stitches out. And I'm like, Why well, aren't you gonna Talk, the nurse told me you need to talk to me about getting a course of treatment for melanoma. And she's like, melanoma, what, what are you talking about? She's going through the, saying, you don't have melanoma? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, wait a minute. And she goes back, she goes, yeah, no, that, that came back negative. You don't have melanoma. What? <laughs> are you kidding me? I hadn't slept in three days, you know? So after I had a, really firm conversation with her and everyone within earshot about giving people false reports about that. She cut the stuff out of my arm, the stooches out, and I walked out the door. And I'll tell you, in that moment, all I cared about was God, the fact that he was my father, and the fact that I was his son, and that whatever happened for the rest of my life from that point on, Freaking gravy to me, man. And all my focus was going to be on being his son. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one thing to talk the game of being in relationship with God. But it's another thing to have it to know where you're at with God when it really hits, hits the fan. Okay, and um, on my, um, just before that, on my twenty, it was August 24th and my 60th birthday, I had an experience in the Lord that was the most profound experience of the Lord and the Lord I've ever had. And I've had some doozies. Um, I've been translated, I've been whatever. I've had all kinds of stuff in the Lord, but this one was a humdinger. This was kind of one of those Paul, Act, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, you know, third heaven kind of deals, right? I mean, I'm talking like gone and off into the glory and up there and everything. And, and between that experience and and there was more, much more that went on to it, but again, I'm trying to keep the ball rolling here. Um, I got to a point where I realized that there really is only one thing in life that truly matters, and it's the, it's the reason for our existence. It's the highest purpose in living, and it's simply to know that we are loved children of God, full stop, end of story. No conditions, no qualifiers, no agenda, no transactions, it is our highest truth. Can we, can we get up, go sit on our couch with a cup of coffee in the morning, get quiet before the Lord, and know above else, above else, that the greatest source of, our, of strength for our life, that the, the whole reason we were created that the meaning of life, literally the meaning of life apart from everything else that comprises life, is the reality that we are in Christ and he is in us and since last fall, I have taken more time to get into what I call contemplative prayer and i 've been reading kind of as a, you just you can 't study union you can't study the trinity without getting into the the desert fathers the patriarchs the mystics so over the last 5 years i've been absorbing a lot of their writings and teachings and and it's something i'm into i mean it's 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 i have a draw to it but um, over the course of, of last fall and into the winter i just doubled down on my my essentially my contemplative time uh, or the way I, I spent time with the Lord, and and it's it's really simple. We've all been we learned this, talked about this, but it's it's what I want to just kind of close out with here tonight. And that's there is something profound about just getting quiet before God, just sitting for the total purpose of acknowledging who he is, who you are in him. Just, again, I'm not no praying. You're not praying. I mean, it's its own form of prayer. It's actually the highest form of prayer, I believe. But it's, it's not about talking. It's about listening. Um, oh, God, who's the guy? Thomas Keating, some Franciscan monk or something, he said, silence is the highest... Science... Silence is the language, the highest language of God. Everything else is a poor translation. And I have come to know that to be absolutely true. Well, how can, how can silence be the highest form of communication when Jesus is the Word? Because He speaks relationally. This is, it's never really been about the the, the specifics of words or a a rote action or a, a liturgy or a ritual. It's just always been about relationship. And when we get quiet before the Lord and we listen and just soak, just with no agenda, Lord, I'm just here. I am just here to recognize the reality of who you are and that I am your child, I am your son. Man, you don't have to go past that. There's no need to go past that and start doing that with regularity. And I'll tell you what, things like the madness of our political process or the brokenness of our government or the the the, the just the absolute horror that has been the global shutdown of COVID, it's not that those things still don't matter. But they're put into perspective, for crying out loud. You know, and in the grand scheme of things, what is this life anyway? As James said, this life is a vapor. It's a little cloud that appears for a moment, and then it's gone. We don't have to get worked up about everything when we can literally start living what we're going to be living in in eternity now. Now. I mean, why wait to get to the other side? I'm jumping the line, you know, and I'm inviting you to come join me. I'm telling you, jump in. The water is great. I just, I'll leave you with a couple quotes if I can find them, because um, I just, you know, in this in this day and age, with just the madness that's going on. Um, we got to be more like the Apostle Paul. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. And I was talking about this earlier with um, well, Larry and Vicky. You know, the word content, you know, that's Philippians 4, right? I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to bound, be full, be hungry. I can do all things. We know the scripture, right? Just give me a nod. Um. So that word content there is actually only used once in the Bible. And it was a word that was, that was used by the Stoics, Stoics of the time. Stoicism is a philosophy. It, Stoics were like kind of ascetics, you know. They lived their whole, the, like their idea um, of of essentially hitting their version of nirvana was to live as in many ways as disconnected from their emotions or the influence of natural circumstance as possible. They they sought to be immune from environmental triggers, finding like peace within themselves. So whether a situation was bad or good, it didn't matter. It was it's, it's like about it's like a self contentment thing. Now Stoics, they didn't believe that that like, place of nirvana was ever attainable, but they thought you could, the idea was to get as close as you could. So along comes Paul and says, I live in that place. I've learned in whatever state I am to live in that place of blissful contentment. Well, think about the apostle Paul and the society, what he was going through in his time under the the vicious and violent, uh, rule of the Roman Empire. Think of like everything, you know, the the beatings, the whippings, the shipwrecks that, you know, he gets stoned to death. And here he is. Yeah. I can be content. So what I'm trying to say is, and I am trying to wrap this up. Brothers and sisters, yes, let's be engaged in the world around us. And, and we have an obligation to do so. But let's do so in a proper context with a proper perspective of what really matters. Let's major in majors and not major in minors. And I'll tell you, once you get really, really kind of torqued up in the truth of who you are as a child of God and you start putting in a little more time into contemplative living and get more of a mind of Christ when it comes to just daily life and what matters and realize that the clock on this life is really kind of short in terms of the billions and trillions of eons we'll live in Christ, I'll tell you, it becomes the only way to live. We can live in peace. We don't have to live toxified in our souls by current events and the the actions of of tech mega oligarchs and corrupt politicians. I screw all that. We just don't need it. There's just no we we don't need it. So anyway, let me see if I can find I swear it if I can't find it in like 10 seconds, I'll I'll push on. These are my notes for the last couple of weeks. It's been a wild ride in the Lord the last couple of weeks. So I showed up with about 10 sermons ready to go. Um, what I went through in life in the last year, year and a half, is something I never thought I would go through. And, and I know, listen, I... Um, you know, I mean, boo-hoo, right? I mean, there are so many people who have it worse, you know. Our brother Joel over in Uganda, they you talk about a crazy environment. You want to talk about election issues? Holy Hannah. You know, the guy locks the country down at gunpoint, turns off the internet, and, you know, just steals everything that's not nailed down. Um, I mean, it's awful. But here's the deal. Whether... I'm on this planet another six months or another 25 years, whether the Lord tarries or whatever, I can tell you this. I've tasted in new and deeper ways the reality of what it means to be loved by my father. And I'm only going deeper in that. And I want to encourage you in this crazy time that we call our world to to maybe think about cutting a little time out of your your news watching time or other things you engage in that might not be all that important in the grand scheme of things and take that time and and um and put it into some quiet time with the Lord. I mean I know we all have devotional lives with God, I know everyone here is in the scripture, and you know we're all' you know, it's, we're the Body of Christ here, right? But I'm just encouraging you to to just take it a little deeper. Um, Learn what it's like to hear the voice of God in complete silence. You won't regret it, because I, I sure don't. So anyway, so great to be here. Thank you so much. Love you all. My first time being with people in a church service again, like with the restaurant, eight months. It's all I could do to not ball during all of all of worship.